Amen. Good morning. Let's give the Lord another round of applause. Can we do that this morning? We welcome you. I want to welcome those who are joining with us online. Thank you so much for being with us today. Man, today's a celebration as it is Graduate Sunday. And so in our next service, we are celebrating 27 graduates. And so again, let's give those guys a round of applause and their families. And so very special. Very special day, and, and again, we know that this is a celebration beyond just the graduate. This is a, a family celebration, and so we want to celebrate that. So two weeks from tomorrow, I want to remind you, is what? Do you know it is? VBS, yes, be praying for our Vacation Bible School again. This is one of the big, big events that we do each year and an opportunity to share the gospel with these little ones, but also their families. And so again, just be praying, be praying for, um, you know, God's protection, uh, but for those who don't know him, to come to know him, we see it every year. And so be praying for our leaders and our volunteers, and we still need help. And so if the Lord is stirring in your heart two weeks from tomorrow, uh, this building will be bumping uh, all week long. And it's an awesome thing to see this building filled uh, with little ones. And so be praying for that. Excited for today, excited for graduation Sunday. And so uh, next service, I will be speaking specifically uh, to our graduates, but it's a message uh, for us all. And so take your Bibles if you would and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 9. It's hard to believe, right? I mean, it feels like yesterday. I mean, I graduated about 10 years ago, about 10 years ago, about, about somewhere about 10 years ago in that range. And I, it's just, you know, I remember, you know, I graduated in 1996 and I was the kid that, you know, you could tell me the stove was hot, but guess what I got to go do? And I'm not proud of that. I'm not proud of that at all. I had a brother who followed all the rules. And that doesn't make things well when you're the second born and you don't follow all the rules when you have the perfect sibling. And so I was the kid that was a challenger, I guess you would say. My mom and dad would say I was a challenger, that I, that I would challenge things, that my dad would preach a sermon and I'd come home not for the purpose of sanctification, but for trying to prove him wrong. And I'd be like, well, dad, what do you mean here? And he's like, Heath, are you trying to grow spiritually? Or are you just trying to uh, counter something? I said, yeah, I'd be like, no, nah, I'm not really trying to grow spiritually. I just want to counter something that you've said. But I remember being 16, 17, 18 years old. Again, I was saved at a young age, but you don't have a lot of life issues at the age of seven. And so trying to figure out like a walk with Jesus, not practicing a religion, but a relationship, like a relationship with, with the Lord living inside of me and trying to navigate, right, adolescence and puberty and high school and all those things. And then to how, how does it all fit? And I just remember as a young person, you know, trying to, to, to figure this thing out of, of, Lord, you know, maybe I'll give you most of me, right? Maybe 95% of me, 96% of me, but, but man, there's a world out there that I got to go test. I, there, there's a world out there that I know that, you, you know, my parents have spoken into, God's word has spoken into, but I got to go test. And unfortunately, many of you know my, my testimony, right? I mean, the Lord used those seasons of my life, but there was a lot of things you know, that I could have been saved from had I just walked according to the truth of God's word. And so I have, again, such an excitement to speak to these graduates uh, this morning because we know that, man, as they leave and as they, whether they're going to school or the military or work, we live in a world that constantly lies to us. Can I get an amen? Amen. And it goes against the things of God. And so praying for that foundation that's been laid in their hearts and lives, I believe God's word does not return void. If you believe that, say amen, amen. So every truth, every truth that's been poured into these graduates and into our own lives, right, God uses. Take your Bibles if you would and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 9. 
This setting is interesting because we just came back from Israel and we were actually at this place where they believed this interaction took place. Uh, Caesarea Philippi. And so we went there and was actually at the, the cave and the waterfall. If you remember, it was a, a place where there was you know, pagan worship. Uh, it was a place where there was uh, human sacrifice. It was a very evil place where babies would be sacrificed to uh, the God of Pan. And so it was, it was in this setting, which is very interesting, where Jesus asked the question to his disciples in a place where false gods were worshiped that he looks to his disciples and he says, okay, who do y'all say that I am? And it's interesting of where they're standing. It's interesting of, again, the setting in which he asked the question to these disciples. And so if you've been with us, we've been going through the upper room discourse. Well, we've been going through John chapter 13, all the way to the prayer of John 17. And so this setting takes place about nine months before. So we've been in the upper room. We've been in the upper room for a number of weeks and we'll go back there next week in John 15. But this is about nine, eight months before we get to that Passion Week. And this is on the heels of the biggest earthly miracle of Jesus' time. He's just fed, what, 20,000 people. And the Bible says that, right, they were trying to take him by force to be king. That, that finally, right, these disciples are like, good, the, the world recognizes, they see him as we see him. They're finally accepting him as the Messiah. But the disciples, they saw the crown, they didn't see the cross. And Jesus was constantly trying to tell them, no, no, there's gotta be suffering first, but they weren't about that. Hey, uh, who's got the best seat at the table? And the Bible says in this setting, right, that Jesus sends them away. And you have this interaction that is pivotal to everything else in the gospel. And he asks them a question that we all have to answer. Every single person on the face of this earth has to deal with this one question. And the way we answer this question determines everything. Take your Bibles with me and stand with me if you would in reverence for reading God's word. Who do you say that I am? That is the question today. Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, okay, who do they say that I am? They say you're Elijah. They say you're a, a dead prophet. They say you're John the Baptist. And then he looks at them. And this is the question for every one of us in an audience of one. Who do you say that I am? And then how we respond to that question, then the next question is, okay, then, how does that change the way I live? If this is who I say he is, what does that mean for me today and tomorrow and next week? Luke chapter nine, let's look at these verses, verses 18. We'll read down just to verse 20. Let's do that, but we'll make our way to verse 25. Title of the message, who do you say that I am? The Bible says this, and it happened as he was alone praying, we see that a lot with Jesus alone with the Father, the disciples joined him and asked him saying, who do the crowds say that I am? Verse 19, so they answered and said, John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say that one of the old prophets has risen again. And here's the question. And I'm gonna look at those graduates in the next service and say, here's the question for us all. Who do you say that I am? Who is Jesus? Then he says this, Peter answered and said, of course he did. Peter, the spokesperson for the disciples, he gets it right. The Christ of God. And it's very important, the title that he gives. We'll talk about that. Join with me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, what a privilege it is to gather around your word this morning. Thank you, Lord, for your people. Thank you for the body of Christ, Lord. We feel your presence in this place today. And so, Lord, I pray that you would bind the enemy from this place. Lord, all the baggage, all the things, Lord, all the things, even from this week, Lord, may we set it all aside. May you lift our eyes off of whatever it's been on. 
and place them on you. We pray this morning, Lord, that you would center us on your truth, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would change us, that we wouldn't just be captivated by you and what you say and what you've done, but that we would be changed by you. And we, Lord, we know that that requires us yielding. And so, Lord, I pray today for the work that only you can do in the heart and lives of the people in this room. But Lord, as we surrender and yield to you, Lord, we trust in you and the promises that you've given us. And so, Lord, this morning I pray in the name of Jesus to be lifted high. That's our prayer. We pray it in that one name, the matchless name that allows us to come before you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. I am, I'm, I'm excited to speak to these graduates, you know, and it's funny, you know, the older you get, like the, the stories, you know, there's more stories that come to mind. And I'm not going to stand up here and share any of those stories because it's always an interesting thing when you minister in the place where you grew up, right? When you pastor a church a mile from when you went high school, uh, there's some stories involved sometimes. God is a God of grace. Can I get an amen? But it's interesting to go back and look at the journey. And I just think about, you know, so many times I was sitting there on the front row, you know, hearing the message and, and, and I heard the message and I heard the message again, but I shared my testimony. I'm a challenger. And there's so many times I look back in my life where I was like, man, I should just trust the Lord. I should just trust it, what the Bible says. And so to be able to speak into the lives of these graduates as they're beginning this new season, but also their parents as well. What a journey this is for the parents. You know, a, a journey of faith, and right? That's what it all comes down to. Everything we talk about comes down to faith. Like everything, right? It's Jesus and faith, right? But Ephesians 2.8 says what? For by grace you are saved through faith. You get to Hebrews 11.1, 1, we talk about faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And then we just come off our series of, of faith at Hebrews 11.6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So to, to allow that to set in this morning, right? That first of all, it's by faith that you know him. And so I pray every single person in here has taken that step of faith, of admitting their sins, acknowledging their sins, recognizing there's nothing they can do for the greatest problem they have, their sins. And so it points you to Jesus who came and lived and died and rose again. But that's by faith. But now in this journey, we're in faith, right? Every day, right, a child of God is called to this altar, Romans 12, 1 and 2, right? That by the mercy of God, I come to this altar and I present myself, what? A living sacrifice. And so the opportunity to walk with the God of this universe, right? To know that he's got a plan and a purpose, even in the specifics that I don't understand. And to, to trust in those promises, right? To know that what you walked in here with today is all under the authority of God. There's nothing outside of it. There's nothing random. And so what does it require? It requires faith. This is the faith journey for us all. It's going to be the faith journey for these graduates as they go out into the world where truth has been poured into them. And our prayer, God's word doesn't return void. That when the world lies and the world tells them that their identity and their value is found in their work or their school or their athletics, that they will say, no, my identity, my value is found in Jesus. I'm valuable because the God of this universe died for me. He has my name on his heart. That's where our identity is, but it requires faith. And so all of this comes, it's interesting we've been in the upper room discourse, but to think about nine months earlier, Jesus had to nail this down in the hearts of these disciples, knowing what they were going to encounter, knowing what they were going to deal with even after he ascends into heaven. They have to know that he is God. They have to know that he is the Lord, because if that is something that they can't trust, that will be the place that the enemy takes you every single time. 
And so he nails it down. Look at what he says. He begins with a, tr- a question. Look at verse 18. And it happened as he was alone praying that his disciples joined him and asked him, saying, Who do the crowds say that I am? And they answered and said, John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others say one of the old prophets has risen again. And then here's the question for us all. If we were standing before our creator today, and here's the question. Who do you say that I am? The church says that he's this. Pastor Heath says that he is. My mama says that he's this. My grandma. Here's who do you say that he is? And the entire gospel we know is building, right? Luke, right? We know that he's building this point. One of his main objectives is to present Christ as the promised Messiah, to connect Jesus back to Genesis 3.15, that first prophecy that one would come. You bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. And so Luke is constantly connecting Jesus back. Jeremiah, Isaiah, Micah, he's connecting Jesus back to he is the Christ, the Curios, the Christos, the anointed one, the redeemed one. And then notice Peter's response. Let's look at verse 20. Love this. You are God's Christ. And it's interesting, right? As you go through and you look at Luke, you see that title all along. If you go to Luke 2, if you remember the story of Simeon, right, in the temple, where God promises him that he will see the Savior before he dies. You remember the verse that says this in Luke 2, 26. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen, and then here's the title again, the Lord's Christ. You go to the end of his life, right? What does Pilate say? Pilate says, are you the Christ? And so we see this title being thrown out. Even on the, on the cross, when the, when, the, when the crowds are laughing at him and mocking him, the Bible says this on Luke 23, 35. And the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ, Christos, the redeemed one, the anointed one, the chosen one. And then look at what he says in verse 21. I love this. And he strictly warned them and commanded them to tell this to no one. So they get the answer right. Ding, 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 ding. Got it right. Don't go tell nobody. That, that's not the great commission right there, is it? Hey, hey I'm the answer. I'm the Messiah. But, but don't go tell nobody. What you find here is the sovereign control of Jesus. Don't miss this. And I pray it encourages you in your journey today. Look at what it says in verse 21, 22. And he strictly warned and commanded them to tell this to no one saying, and this is the title Jesus uses most often to describe himself. The son of man, speaks to his humanity. The son of man, he tells them, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. These disciples are like, yeah, we're here. Let's do it. Let's take the kingdom. We've got them. And Jesus says, no, they're suffering first. You don't get to the crown, right, until you go through the cross. And these disciples were still struggling with that. And so he says to them, tell no one, you got it right. Yes, I am the Christ, the anointed one, the one and only, the only begotten son of God. But don't tell anyone. And what you find here is the sovereign control of Jesus. He was in control of every single detail. You get to that last week, man, it's chaotic. Like that, that last week, Passion Week, right? When he comes in, they're praising him, and then it goes sideways. He goes into the temple, right, and starts turning over tables. You've made my, my father's house a, a den of thieves. And it was chaotic, but every single detail fell under the authority of Jesus. He did not die a second before or a second after he was supposed to die. And the beauty of that is his control. And I pray you see that in your life today. He didn't give them all the explanation, but he was in control. 
He didn't give them all the words and the details, but he was in control. He gave them enough for them to rest in his authority. He gave them enough for there to be peace and joy. Sometimes we scramble, I need more, Lord. I need more, Lord. The Lord says, no, I've given you enough to stabilize you. Just abide with me. This goes back to last week, right? Remain, stay, walk with me, have breakfast with me, have lunch with me, have dinner with me, commune with me. And so he says to them, you got it right, but don't tell anyone because the timing's not yet. And then he says this in verse 23, this is what it all comes down to. So what must we do? You are the Lord, you are the Christ. How do I respond to that? That's the question. Who do you say that I am? How do I respond? And he says this in verse 23. If anyone, don't miss that word, right? An open invitation. If anyone desires to come after me, what must he do? Let him do the hardest thing. Let him say it with me, let him. Hear it again, let him. It's the exact opposite of what comes natural to us. You go right now to our preschool, right? Go to our two-year-olds. You're gonna find a kid in there, maybe yours, right? That steals the truck, kicks the other kid and says, mine, where'd that come from? His mama, I get it, he got it from his mama. That's always my joke, he got it from both of us, right? We got a bunch of little sinners out here. I'm just gonna be real with you. Our children are little sinners, right? We, we produce little sinners is what they are. They're born into sin, they're born into Adam. You don't have to teach my little Tristan to sin, it came very natural to him. Most of it's from Amber, they got a little bit from me. But they're born into that. And so this, this desire to me, 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 that's what comes natural, right? Live for me, pleasure for me, my day for me, my money for me, everything for, that's what comes natural. My flesh says glorify Heath. My flesh does not say glorify Jesus. My flesh says live for Heath. That's what comes natural. I don't wake up running to Jesus right away. My flesh is what comes to the surface immediately. So Jesus says, okay, you gotta do the hardest thing. And by the way, you don't have it within you to do. How amazing is this, that when it comes to denying yourself, that's the power of God in you. Now you have to submit, you have to yield, but he's not talking about white knuckling something, persevering to, to get there. No, 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 this is a yielding at the altar, a living sacrifice, and then it's the power of God that gives you the victory of denying yourself. But he says this, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. That word literally means to disown. Listen to this, it literally means to refuse association with. So what is Jesus, you remember Paul, Galatians 2.20, what does he say? I am crucified with Christ, it's no longer Paul who lives, but it's now. So there's the transaction, right? I'm dead is what Paul is saying, Saul, he's dead, I'm living a new life in Christ. And so it's this picture, right? It's this picture of dying a death, a crucified death to live a resurrected life. It's this picture of Romans 12, one and two. To deny yourself is to go to that altar and to be oxymoron, a living sacrifice. What is that? That's coming to the altar and saying, Lord, not me, but you. That's coming to the altar and saying, Lord, empty me of me so I can be filled with you. That's coming to the altar and doing what goes against everything inside of us, which is yielding and surrendering to him. I remember a seminary professor talking about, I've used this before, a blank contract. That you wanna really go on a journey with the Lord, right? God's got a plan, he's got a purpose for your life. Here it is, here's a blank contract before you. And basically it's a line at the bottom and he says, do you trust me? I've given you enough to sign the contract. I'm not gonna reveal any of the details. I'm not gonna tell you about your job or your family or where I'm calling you next year. I'm not gonna tell you any of those things. I'm asking you upfront to trust me. 
And the question for all of us, Hebrews 11:6, 6, right? If it's by faith that we please God, where is God calling me today to trust him? Where's God calling me today where myself is saying, no, no, no. But the Holy Spirit is saying, put to death, deny self so that Christ may live. And that's the battle for all of us. I heard a pastor say years ago, the greatest God served, lowercase g in our society today, is the God of self. That's what we battle. That's what I battle. And so here's Jesus thinning out the crowd. He's thinning out the crowd. They're showing up. Hey, he's got dinner. He's going to serve breakfast tomorrow. I'll be here. Hey, he healed my grandmama. I'm, I'm following this guy. Captivated, captivated. But were they changed? When it came to yielding their life, when it came to surrendering, when it came to, okay, Jesus, you're asking me now to follow you, not just because of what you can give me, but you want my life? We see it in the gospel, the crowds begin to thin out because he says here, listen, you wanna follow me, anyone? Hey, anyone, it's an open invitation. I don't care what your past looks like, but you must do the hardest thing. You gotta disown yourself. You got to get to a place where you disassociate from who you used to be. Hey, I ain't hanging out with that Heath no more. That Heath got me in trouble. Some of y'all know that Heath. We gonna leave that Heath alone. I'm disassociation with that Heath. I don't know if I'm saying that right. I'm disowning who I used to be. And so what does he say? Deny yourself, deny yourself, right? Blank contract, empty yourself so that you may be filled. I read this years ago, man, this stirred me. Because what does that look like to truly deny yourself, right? Because sometimes on the surface, it may look like we're denying ourselves, but it's covered in pride. So hear this, I thought this was really good. How do we know we're denying ourselves? Here's some examples. When you are neglected or purposefully set aside and you sting and hurt with the insult of oversight, but your heart is joyful and you're content to be counted worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. When your good is evil spoken of, when your wishes are crossed, your advice is disregarded, your opinions are ridiculed, and you refuse to let anger rise in your heart or even defend yourself, but you take it all in patience, loyal silence, that is dying to self. When you lovingly and patiently bear any disorder, any irregularity, any annoyance, when you can stand face to face with foolishness, extravagance, spiritual insensitivity, and endure it as Jesus endured it, that is dying to self. When you're content with any food, any offering, any clothes, any climate, any society, any solitude, any interruption by the will of God, that is dying to self. When you never care to refer to yourself or to record your own good works, or seek the recognition of others, when you can truly love to be unknown, that is dying to self. When you see another brother or sister prosper and have their needs met and you can honestly rejoice with them in spirit and in truth and feel no envy, nor question why God would bless them and not you, that's dying to self. When you can receive correction, hear this one, and reproof from one of less stature and can humbly submit inwardly as well outwardly, finding no rebellion or resentment rising up within your heart, that is dying to self. Can I just say, praise God, he's faithful to complete the work he's begun. Let's can I get an amen? Because as I'm reading those things, I am being convicted. Look at what it says here in verse 23. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. And then here it is, what does this mean? Take up your cross daily. 
Now that's interesting, right? Because you'll hear people say, well, that's my cross to bear. Have you ever heard that before? My bad hip, that's my cross to bear. Nah, you're missing the, the mean, my, my, my mother-in-law, that's my, I love my mother-in-law, by the way. But you'll hear people say, that's my cross to bear. No, no, you're missing it. What is Jesus saying here? Deny yourself, take up your cross daily. What is that? He is speaking of a death instrument. Right, what is a cross? A cross is something that you put to death on, right? That is a cross. And so here's the picture. It's the altar. It's the altar of saying, hey, I'm taking my death instrument daily and I'm nailing those old things to the cross. Galatians 2.20, no longer I who live, I am crucified with Christ, all that on the cross, so that Christ may live in and through me. And so it's this picture of dying. It's a picture of daily dying. It's a picture of in the morning, not I, but you. There's my cross. It's a picture at lunch, Lord, that's my reaction, but I wanna fall in the spirit's reaction. It's walking daily and saying, I'm putting all those old things there so that Christ can fully live. And again, it's this picture of just a relationship. I pray you see that. And he's speaking to these disciples about a relationship, but it represents a daily death instrument to put those old things to death so that the life of Christ can shine. Look at, look, look at what he says next. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and look here. Here it is, the vine and the branches, follow me. One of my favorite verses is James 4, 8, and it says this, draw near to God and he will... What a beautiful promise, right? We know it's in Christ, right? We know I'm the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to follow except to me. It's in Jesus alone. But hear that promise, right? When a child of God takes a step to the Lord, draw near to God, he will draw near to me. That's amazing. And hear what I'm saying, in the power and the authority of the resurrection, the enemy has no control. When a child of God initiates, when a child of God says, hey, I'm going to the throne, I'm calling upon his name, the authority of the resurrection, the enemy can't touch that. He can't touch that. So what does he do? He keeps us from calling upon his name. And he keeps us here in our worries and our doubts and our anxiety. And Jesus is saying, hey, all I'm asking you to do is just follow me. All I'm asking you to do is not worry about all this out here because that can become an idol and take a place where only I should be. So just worry about me. Stop taking your eyes off of all these things and let's simplify it, just follow me. You may not have all the answers. You see that with these disciples. He gave them enough, but they were always in a position where they had to display faith. He didn't just give them all of it because there'd be no faith required. But he's given them enough to trust him. I mean, look at what he says in verse 24. I mean, what a summary right here, right? For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. God's economy is different than the world's economy. Right, right, God's economy, right? If you want to be first, you must be willing to be, right, right? If you want to be over, you must be willing to be, I mean, that, that's God's economy. And so here's this picture of, hey, you want life? You want the abundant life? You got to give up the old life. You want to fully live? You want to go on this adventure with the Lord and you can't imagine the story that God wants to write in your heart and life, but it requires yielding. It requires submission. It requires, hey, I don't want that life. I've been there. I've done that. I want to do something for the Lord. And it requires laying it down. This is the picture of the altar. Whoever desires life must lose it. He's not speaking physically. He's speaking of me coming to that altar daily and saying, this ain't about Heath today. So Lord, don't let me make it about Heath today. Don't let me miss the eternal things for the gunk of this world. 
Don't let me miss the eternal things from the stress and the anxiety of this world. Don't let me miss a divine appointment with someone right in front of me because I got a list of to-dos. Give me your eyes, give me your heart, but allow me to lay my life down daily so that you may live. And then verse 25, to these graduates, my goodness. For what profit is to a man if he gains the whole world and what, loses his own soul. I would dare to say that success is defined differently in the world than it is according to God's word. They're gonna go out into the world, right? And the world's gonna say, hey, this is what it looks like to be successful. And on the surface, it may look that way. But according to God's word, what it means to be successful is a life that walks in his will, a life that fulfills his purpose. That is success. And it may look different than what the world defines it as. True success is to be able to say, Lord, I am yielded to you in this adventure. And to hear the words, well done, Charlie, to hear those words, brother. Just yesterday, Stacy Hudson passed away, Charlie's wife at 53. And I'm gonna tell you what, man, there's some people that just preach their own funeral by the way that they live. And I had the great privilege yesterday of connecting the dots of a life that loved, because that's what Jesus says. They'll know your mind by the way that you love. And I had the privilege of standing on the stage and connecting the dots for many people who were loved by her. But I was able to say, no, it wasn't just Stacy, that was Jesus in her. And there are eternal things here that go way beyond just this vapor of our time here on this earth. In Romans 12, one and two, I will read it. If you've got your Bibles, go to it real quick. And again, this is something that I know for me and my journey has been a daily thing to just spend time here. He tells them, right, you desire to come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. He's giving them, right, the equation right there. You want life, you gotta lay your life down. He's telling them, hey, you can gain the whole world and have no joy and no peace. And what does it gain if he loses his own soul? Listen to what Paul says here in Romans 12, 1, 2. He says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. So that's where he begins. What a place to begin every day to just wake up and reflect on the mercies of God. Do it. I challenge you to go there first, to get in the morning, to capture your mind and your thoughts. And the moment you wake up, go to the cross. The moment you wake up, just praise Jesus for your salvation. Because listen, you may get phone calls that day. Your day may go sideways, but there's nothing that can touch your salvation in the Lord. And so to wake up and, and do what Paul says, I beseech you, I plead with you by the mercies of God, just spend time there reflecting on who you are, reflecting on, on, on your wretchedness and yet God's grace and mercy. And then now that puts you in the position to do what? Look at what he says now that I'm reflecting upon God's grace and God's mercy and God's love for me demonstrated upon the cross. What must I do? By the mercies of God, present your bodies. Here it is, a living sacrifice. What is he asking for? He's calling for lives. He's asking for a life. He's asking for men and women who say, you know what? I desire your will more than mine. I desire your purpose more than my agenda. So I'm gonna walk every day with this cross and I'm gonna put it to death and put it to death so that Christ may be seen. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And hear this, hear this, verse two, do not be conformed to this world. It's where we get the word chameleon. I've shared my testimony before. This verse is very personal to me because I was a chameleon for many years. 
I knew the Lord, I sat out there, but you put me in the world, I blend in. You put me in the world, I'm gonna blend in to, to whoever I'm around. I'm not gonna stand out, I'm gonna blend in. And so here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, don't blend in. That that's, that's defeats the purpose of salt and light. Don't blend in. He says, don't be conformed to this world. Don't look like this world, but, what, but be transformed. It's where we get the word metamorphosis by the renewing of your mind. And then here's the picture, the greatest miracle in the life of an individual, someone who submits to the Lord, yields to the Lord, say, Lord, I am calling upon you. I desire you to be in my life. And the Bible says in the authority of this book that the spirit of God indwells us. He lives within us. And now he desires to lead us. And it's going to the altar each day. He's saying, Lord, I want to live for something more than what I can just see. And so, Lord, I'm just going to remain and stay and abide. And in you, may the Father be glorified. Look at how he ends this. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed how? By the renewing of your mind. That's the process right there of sanctification, the renewing of the mind. That when a child of God, with the spirit of God living in them, they open God's word, it's what we're doing this morning. The Lord changes the way we look, the way we love. It's the renewing of the mind that comes through the power of his spirit through his word. And then he says this, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable. And man, what an opportunity for each and every one of us. And I'm gonna tell the graduates this next service, the adventure. God wants to take you on. He may not show you all the details. He didn't with the disciples. But he says, trust me. And by your faith, I am glorified. With every head bowed and every eye closed. The hardest thing, the hardest thing, everything inside us, it goes against to deny ourselves. And so that's my first question this morning. Audience of one, how do you answer the question? Audience of one, who do you say he is? There you go, just deal with that. Was he a great teacher, a rabbi, a great, a great man in history? Who is he to you? There's the question. And the way you answer that question will determine, honestly, your eternity, to be honest with you. Because there's no in between. We're either in our sins or we're in Christ. And the Bible says there must be that transaction. Someone professing faith the Lord taking them from death into life, again, the greatest miracle that can take place beyond what I can even comprehend or communicate. But I've seen it. I've seen a life change simply by yielding. So I wonder, man, you may be here today and, and I just simply ask you the first question. Who is he to you? Do you know him? When he looks at these disciples, who do you say that I am? Who is he to you? Is he just this figure that we talk about and you hear, who is he? Do you know him? Do you talk to him? Do you have a relationship? Because the Bible says you can. By faith, we are saved through grace. And even in this moment, audience of one, you can cry out, Jesus, I believe in you. I put my trust in you. I believe you died for my sins. I believe you rose again. I believe in you. And I desire to walk with you. There you go. Just as simple as that. To believers in this place, we're all being called to some place of trust and faith. And sometimes that's a journey that the Lord takes us by ourselves. 
Where today is God calling you to trust him where you can't see? Where today is God calling you to deny yourself so that Christ can be seen? I'm gonna invite you to stand right where you are. We're gonna go to the Lord in prayer and each week to my left, to your right, and we have pastors and leaders and always on call, always wanting to come beside you in this because we're in this journey with you. And I pray that what you walked in here with, you see is not outside of what God is doing in your life. And the enemy's a punk. Can I get an amen? Can I just say that from the stage? He's a punk. He lies, manipulates. And the prayer is that truth would prevail, right? In the hearts of these graduates, but in all of us. As we walk by faith each day in the lies and the emotions and the flesh, all that lies that we would be centered in truth. Deny ourselves, take up our death instrument. Keep putting those things on the cross all day long. Just following him. Join with me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, again, we are humbled, captivated that you would desire to walk with us. Thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for our sins. Thank you, Jesus, that you made a payment you did not deserve to pay. Thank you, Jesus, that you are our substitute. And by your sins, we are healed. Thank you, Jesus. So Lord, as we leave this place today, we desire to walk with you. We desire, Lord, for not ourselves to be glorified and ourselves to be on the throne. Lord, we pray that those things would be put to death and that this world would see Jesus in us that it would be captivating, that it would be radical in the way that we love. And your word tells us that they will know that we're yours. The way that we love, thank you for the way that your people love. Go before us today, we pray in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Have a great week. We will see you next Sunday on Father's Day. Have a great week.